Hello, friends. Now dare to enter our heart-stopping world of the unknown. Hello, boys and girls. Halloween is creeping up on us like rigor mortis. <laughs> so HBO is digging up something special to scare you into the spirit of the holiday. Or should I say, horror day. Halloween doesn't have to be spooky. Not with Easter Seal Safe Halloween coupons. The safe treat that gives treatment. Garfield and the National Safety Council have some tips for a safe Halloween. Trick or treat in daylight and only visit the homes of people you know. Because you know they'll give you more treats. Call 1-900-909-CREEP. Creep Phone puts you in touch with the baddest of the bad. And now you can be a Creep Phone star. Record your own screaming monster madness. You may be heard by millions of Creep Phone fans nationwide. Call now. Into another controversy tonight. This time, the advertising for a newly released horror film. And as Channel 11's Judy Bloom reports, the battleground is a billboard. This visually violent and sexually explicit poster for a new movie called Maniac is arousing a great deal of anger within the women's community in Los Angeles. They say that posters like this one contribute to violence against women. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. We did it once and you screamed for more. What it's starting again. It's the return of Tuesday Night Chillers on HBO. They're here. You're gonna get it all right for pure, unadulterated entertainment. And you know what? You're gonna love it. Files. It's time for the SLS cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 355 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the upcoming spy film episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that uh, a movie scheduled to be released on January 15th, 2021 by Universal Pictures, would be none other than a spy film called 355. And with that wonderful bit of oddly specific upcoming film knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California, would be our resident Sony employee, Torquemada Tim. Torquemada Tim. Nice. I'm sorry, I've been trying to play with my name, fondle my name a little bit with goofy lead-ins to the name. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been inspired by the Treehouse of Horror, you know, whenever they play around with the credit names around Oh, Halloween sure. Time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ever since Jack O'Tim, I have failed miserably every week. <laughs> I don't know what a Torquemada is. Isn't it like a Dr. Torquemada? Mm, no, I mean, I guess I'm maybe in the world of something somewhere. Maybe there was a Dr. Torquemada. Gosh, why do I think there was like a cannibal Dr. Torquemada? I think I'm getting that completely wrong. I, I, I Now that I'm thinking of it, I think I had a Dr. Torquemada who was my pediatrician back in the day. I'm I'm glad that the indelible imprint of this pediatrician 
was that you would remember him or her uh, as a as an adult and working it into a Halloween podcast many, many years later. Dr. Torquemada, he would not have been a uh, a cannibal, I suppose, if he were my pediatrician, maybe. But I mean, that you know of. That but, I know, you know of, exactly. Allegedly not, hopefully. Um, but <laughs> I did do a quick Wikipedia search, and Thomas de Torquemada, T-O-R-Q-U-E-M-A-D-A, was a... Castilian Dominican friar and first Grand Inquisitor in Spain's movement to homogenize religious practices with those of the Catholic Church in the late 15th century, otherwise known as the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Which resulted in the expulsion from Spain of thousands of people of Jewish and Muslim faith and heritage. So there was an evil Torquemada. I, well, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, you know, and just in time for Halloween. Exactly. Yes. Because <laughs> we all know that the Spanish Inquisition is Halloween. It's right up there with the uh, Salem witch trials, I'm sure. Well, see, now I always think Salem Witch Trials, I always think of Salem Witch Trials as Halloween just because it's directly dealing with witches, where I thought the Spanish Inquisition was just heretics in general. It, it was. I mean, a lot of people died. I mean, more people, I'd, I'd imagine, died at the hands of the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, absolutely. Well, Spanish Inquisition was, like, way longer and right. all and took place all over... Spain, if not all over Europe, and uh, whereas the Salem witch trials were pretty localized in, you know, like a little 10-mile area there, and only had, I want to say, like, I, I think at the end of it, like, three people died or something like that, because um, that, that were actually hung. Everybody else just kind of ended up in prisons and stuff like that, and then the one guy who died with the, with the pressing, and they kept... Stacking rocks on him. Oh, the crushing, then, whatever that's yeah, called. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure they called it pressing. And then he was rather impressed. Um, sorry, I just that's terrible. I know. Well, a little fact checking. I believe 20 people died during the Salem witch trials. Was it 20? Okay, I, I always hear like you hear like tons of people. Um, well, more than 200 you know. people were accused. There you go. Of practicing the devil's magic, and 20 were executed. So, I mean, if you think about it, especially when comparing it to the Spanish Inquisition, 20 is not so bad. I mean, you don't want any in these, especially in these uh, situations. But, uh, yeah, and then you have the Giles Corey guy who was crushed to death. Uh, death by crushing or pressing a method of execution generally involving the placement of intense weight upon a person with the intent to kill. Uh, and, and fortunately, this form of execution is no longer sanctioned by any governing body. Oh, good, because it's that awful? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Do they crush them fully to where they just become juice? Or do they stop once they know that, okay, that guy has been sufficiently pressed? You know, my understanding without going into the whole article uh, on it here on, in the Wikipedia article, it's my understanding that they just basically once you were dead, 
that was that was pretty much it. Okay, great. You died from the weight, so I wonder who lasted the longest. Cuz I mean, I have no I, idea. they didn't just like I mean, if this guy was the only one that died at the hands of pressing, it had to have been used before at some point. I don't know the whole long sorted history cuz obviously I thought it was only, you know, two people that got killed or something and it was 20. Uh, but as I understand it, they used pressing as torture, not as a means of pure execution. They were trying to get him to plead one way or the other. Like, you, you either need to say you're a witch or you need to plead not guilty so we can, you know, condemn you as a witch anyway. Right. And he refused. He refused both. He's like, no. I, I I refuse to plead. And so then they were like, well, we don't know what to do. And they're like, well, let's do the pressing thing to get him to say one way or the other. And I do know that reportedly his last words were more weight. Really? Yeah. Just get it over with, probably. No, no, I, I'm pretty sure that was just a massive <laughs> fuck you right. to them. Giles Corey, world's biggest badass circa... 1693. <laughs> well, the world's youngest badass, only because of her her name, was the uh, young the youngest person to have been jailed during the Salem witch trials, at the age of five. Uh, her name was Dorothy Good, but the name Dorothy was written as Dorcas. Here's the thing about this Dorcas stuff is that I've been watching. Are you familiar with the Chilling Tales of Sabrina, the Netflix show about the Sabrina Archie comic book character? Oh, the the the, the new Sabrina witch yeah, teenage yeah. witch ones. Yes. I have seen uh, it advertised and stuff, but I just assumed it was the latest teeny bop version. It's a fantastic you know, made for show. 2019. Yeah, you would you would love it. I love it. It's a great, moody Halloween show to watch, but um, it's very dark and satanic, which is great. But there is one of the witches. Uh, her name is Dorcas. And I just thought, man, it's it's weird how everybody is saying the name Dorcas with a straight face. And the character of Dorcas, she doesn't really care that everybody's calling her Dorcas. Because I just thought it was like a little jab at the character. But then I did some research and that was a fairly common name uh, during the Salem Witch Trials era, during that part of time. I mean, Dorcas. Has that name ever <laughs> came across your mind when you were naming your daughters? Um, no. No, it did not. Um, trying to think of the craziest naming conventions we came up with. No, nothing even close to Dorcas. I, um, good, good, yeah, good on them for being strong. I guess maybe it was like the 1600s version of a boy named Sue, right? You just, a girl named Dorcas. Yeah. And her last name was Good. So, you know, uh, is there a good, good Dorcas here? Good Dorcas, please, please raise your hand. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. That's the best part. Uh, having the last name first, good Dorcas. But one last thing, I, I I'm sorry to drag us back into Salem. 
I really got to hand it to this Giles Corey dude because apparently when he did die from the pressing thing, he was 81. Really? Yeah. So, damn. <laughs> and he still had the nerve to say, add more weight. Yeah. So that just really kind of did it up. But yeah. So, uh, and, and it, now is it crisp? weather for you because even for us it was crisp like it was the highs were in the low 60s for us very nice crisp weather what was it crisp for you there too it's crisp but one couldn't fully enjoy the crisp with the hell fire happening 15 17 30 some odd miles away uh, you still get that smell of like smoke and destruction Mm. the air quality isn't that great at all so it's hard to fully enjoy it when you can't really take a deep breath without feeling a little bit concerned for your health but i think it's fitting since this is our annual halloween forecast our annual halloween episode that we've been doing ever since 2013 for those of you who don't know how to subtract seven years (laughs) (laughs) i mean it really is kind of cool to think about all the funny things and and it does bring up an interesting walk down memory lane my eldest daughter uh we were we went on a daddy daughter date last week and so she was just kind of asking about the show and in general and i was like well i mean we've just been doing it for so long blah, blah 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 and she's like when am I going to be able to listen to it? And I was like, well, I mean, it's really not as spectacular. If you're trying to listen to the whole show, it's not really as spectacular as you might think it is. And she's like, yeah, but I want to listen to it eventually. And I was like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just start at the beginning. <laughs> so I took her all the way back to 2011, to the original, the original series, right? She made it about 15 minutes, and she was like, this is sad. <laughs> <laughs> did she really say that this was sad? or She did. <laughs> <laughs> and and made sure to, to, to let me know that the parlance of sad is like this just something in, in their lingo. Uh, the parlance of sad is so incredibly horrible that it it literally makes you feel sad. Like, it brings sadness to you that you're being put through this. That's how bad it was. I'm like, no, no. I listen to kids all day. I know what sad means. I just think it's absolutely hilarious. You feel the need to tell me that it's sad. Did you have her listen to her newer episode, Elias? So what? So then I was like, okay, and I and and come on, we there's a reason why there was a reboot. <laughs> so we, you know, we just keep up the old stuff for posterity, right? Sure. Um, and, and so yes, so I then bumped, you know, I then said, okay, well, so, uh, Tim and I took a break. We we went on hiatus. We you know had life got in the way, and then we kind of get back together, and then we had even had a, a third guy for a bit. And so here, I, so then I was like, now take a listen to this. And so we listened to about the first 15 minutes of that because we're still driving around and stuff. So, I mean, it's not like we had the time to sit and do the whole show. And she was like, okay, that one's a little better. She's like, that, that's a little bit better. And I'm like, well, that's the whole thing is we got better over time. And then you can really hear all the cool things that we've done is, and so, um, yeah. So she, 
she did recover her interest some, but I think she now believes me when I say it was rough in the beginning. <laughs> well, let's just hope she doesn't go on and listen to the Blue Waffle episode. That's why she's not going to listen to the show. And see, maybe I did myself a favor now that she heard how bad the first episode was eight years ago. Eight and a half years ago, almost. Uh, maybe she won't be tempted to inadvertently find the Blue Waffle episode. God, I forgot I had talked about that. I didn't. <laughs> I have that image ingrained into my mind ever since. Oh, man. But you know who yeah. eats Blue Waffles every Sunday? I have a feeling you're going to tell me. Huh. Who? Little red man that lives in the in the depths of your body. Ah, yes. He he would, wouldn't he? If I was stuck in your ass for a year and only get out for, you know, around this time for our show, maybe blue waffles is something to at least look forward to on Sundays. And I don't know what that says about you that you have a lot of blue waffles stored within you. It's just his way. It's it's just his way. So uh, I'm assuming it's time. I think we are ready for him. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let me let me let me summon him real quick here. I'm adjust the chair. Gotta get some. And... Oh jeez. Oh god. Oh. Hello, Kim. Hello, Satan. How are you doing? This. Fine, crisp October evening. I'm doing fairly well, considering, of course, that the that the weather is not nearly balmy enough. Well, I mean, it it immediately was balmy enough before where I just emerged from, but now it is not quite as balmy. Uh, and and I'm also now hankering for my blue waffles six days early. But aside from that, I believe I'm doing well. well let's face it. I think every day for you is technically a blue waffle day. You like to make the best of your days, so I hear. Indeed, indeed, and, and uh, you know, Matt has been listening to a lot of Blue October lately, so now I get blue waffles in Blue October. I know every year about this time you come out for your conjugal visit to say hello, but then because of the season, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Well, of course, please, uh, please by all means, I'm, I'm always happy to answer your questions, I... I feel that it is, it is the least that I could do is to answer the questions of you, Tim. Uh, because maybe if you ask really good and entertaining questions, I won't move the, the fires closer to you. My first question to you, before we get into things that are more Halloween-centric, now, do you have a favorite Halloween movie? You see, uh, this past weekend... I went to the New Beverly Cinema, caught a kitty matinee where they were showing Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, and I got to take the old wife with me, and, and I just thought that was a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon in October, so close to Halloween. Is there a go-to Halloween film for you? And it could be newer, it could be older. Oh, I think, uh, you know, being a relatively immortal being, I would think that my favorite horror movie would probably be the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi. And the reason why is because there are just people, their sensitivity level, uh, as much as we have all of this 
terrible, terrible, well, I think it's lovely and beautiful. All this terrible, terrible virtue signaling and outrage culture. No one really has time to be scared and horrified by films very much anymore. And so therefore, I love living life in the past. Um, maybe destructive to some, but not to me. Again, somewhat immortal, you know. And I love the fact that back then, people were scared so scared by this Dracula movie that they actually would pass out in the theaters and then they would have to have ambulance people come and take them away. Now that, that is a fantastic way to have a horror movie become indelible in your mind. I think that's the word you and Matt were using a little bit ago, indelible. And of course, we all know about your fascinations with like bustiers and corsets and whatnot. You do like um, uh, boobs, whether it be uh, men or female. That is true. And, and, and something that's very nice is when if you are into the BDSM community and you have those wonderful corsets for the male testicles, if you squeeze them just right when they come out the bottom, they also look like boobs. Well, and speaking of of your fascination with cleavage, Satan... Testicle cleavage. Or testicle yes. cleavage. Okay, testicle cleavage. Um, well, okay, well, this is more tor- towards uh, boobs. We'll just jump right into just, it just regular, just, just regular boobs or testicle boobs? Uh, just regular boobs. Okay, that, that's fair. But that's I guess fair. depending on how... So these are like the sexy costumes. Are you familiar with these? Where every year women get to choose from a plethora of... Of sexy costumes, like sexy sure, booty, like sure. costumes that should not be sexy. Absolutely, like, you know, Dora the Explorer or something, sure. I have here a list, and you tell me whether these costumes are acceptable or not acceptable. I'm not sure if I'm I'm really the right person. I mean, the more awful and terrible and horrible it is, especially for all of humanity, the more I'm going to like it. And, and, and I, should, should I maybe put on the thinking cap of a, of a mortal person? I suppose, but I like to think that maybe you have a little bit of taste. You, you're talking to a man who just told you about testicle cleavage. I'm going to start from the bottom of this list. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting this from Brobable, or Bro Bible? B-R-O-B-I-B-L-E. Ooh. Mm, yes, wow. Bro Bible. Yes, yeah. Bro Bible. That's pretty douchey here. I'm, I apologize. Introducing the sexy tariff Halloween costume. This is a reference to President Trump's economic policy of imposing tariffs on imports from China to reduce the United States trade deficit. It should be noted that this Yandy costume was made in the U.S. and no tariffs were imposed on it. It is basically a one-piece short skirt with a bunch of $100 bills all over it and in big red letters over the boobs it says tariff. Sounds oddly like a Oddly specific stripper costume. So I just sent you the picture, actually, uh, of all of these, so you can see what what they look oh. like for better context. Oh, very good. Okay. Ah. Oh, now, now I see here. I must say that um, perhaps the the real crime here is not that it is air quotes sexy. It's that they think this would make a good costume. This is. This is worse than the hanging Chad thing from So I, or How I Met Your Mother. Which I thought was a wonderful thing to inflict upon humanity. The ninth season, that was totally my idea. Um, no, that, that, that is not a sexy 
sexy Halloween costume. Well, how about the one right above that, the sexy Tater Thought Halloween, or excuse me, Tater, well, it's supposed to be Tater Tot or Tater Hot, but Tater no, Thought. No, 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 that's, it's spelled correctly. Uh, so in the parlance of our times, Tim, I have decided to put terrible, terrible uh, um, acronyms out there just to annoy people, and the thought stands for literally that hoe over there. Really? Really, really? Well, then how about the sexy impossible burger costume, where this one is called a beyond burger costume? It looks a little Apache lady than a burger. Mm. Or I, I must say, the, the, the flag in the top of the hair definitely makes this costume. Uh, it is completely stupid, but, you know, I, I'm sure there are people out there who are very into food with their sex. This will probably be sexy for them. Now, these last two are definitely dingers. How about the Happy Tree Painter costume, a.k.a. the sexy Bob Ross costume with fro and short booty shorts? I, 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 I do not know. Does it come with the squirrel? And make sure you see all the pictures. You get the, for the front and the back. Okay. Hmm. Goodness gracious. $70. I will say that from the backside, it's a much more attractive living space than what Matt provides me. But even I would consider that a crime to pay, to pay $70 for that. That's, that's just terrible. No, that, um, I, I think it's very, very not conventionally sexy to make yourself look like that for the purpose of saying you're sexy Bob Ross. But, if you can pull the outfit off, you will definitely be a very good-looking person. And then what is your take on sexy Mr. Rogers? The nicest neighbor costume. I really think they're just legitimately running out of ideas at this point. Um, there's, there's nothing unique about that outfit at all. It's just got two terrible hand puppets that are supposed to be reminiscent of... Mr. Rogers, I mean, this is a man that even I wouldn't mess with, and I'm Satan. I, I, I think I might need to be offended for him. I'm not, I, I'm not, I think you've done it, Tim. I think you've broken me. That, yes, that, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is the stupidest Halloween costume. It is neither sexy, nor funny, nor clever. It's just terrible. And this is a man who eats blue waffles. This is a being. An immortal being that eats blue waffles. And even and even I have a problem with this one. Well, that's it. Th those are the newest additions to the sexy costumes line of Halloween wear of 2019. Sorry there were no uh, penis corsets or anything like that. Well, that's, o that's okay. Does this mean that it is time for me to go? Yeah, but I do have one more thing for you. Ooh, good, good, good. Wait, oh, oh, it, are you, oh my goodness. Why, it's more, okay, let's see here. I just sent you something an, <laughs> from Etsy. A, <laughs> why, it's, it's a penis corset. It's a penis corset and muzzle. Oh my goodness. It's a it's, BDSM bondage leather chastity just for you. 
Could you imagine if I sent this to you, or if we sent this to Matt, and his wife opened it? Well, if you're going to do something like that, you must put a random man's name in the box. (laughs) Thank you for the wonderful weekend. I'll always remember it. Bill. I I think it's something like that. Can you uh, describe to our uh, listening audience what this is and why there is a uh, the metal ring just touching the tip of the helmet? Well, it it, <laughs> it seems to be like someone took an took took part of a Converse sneaker and turned it upside down with the laces intact. But uh, yes, it it is. Uh, a way to literally create a corset overlay for the penis that goes over the shaft with a special muzzle at the back end that goes around the ball sack, creating special cleavage. Then there is a little hook that you can tie right around the head. It's, it's beautiful. You can also lead someone around by it. And I imagine that if you led someone around by it, but then stopped leading them around, and then started leading them around, and stopped leading them around, and started leading them around, and stopped leading them around repeatedly, and varied the speed at which you would do that, much interesting occurrences would probably happen. Uh, apparently there is more. Yes, and I did send you a uh, an accompanying uh, gift, which these are all on Etsy. This this is uh, definitely very crazy. Ah, yes, it looks like a manual bench press with a dildo attached. How fun. Oh. And it's adjustable, too. Yeah. The dildo part is adjustable. I, th- I think that's very important. Um, This very well might be the worst opening for any of our Halloween episodes. <laughs> I will say this, though. I'm... I, I'm so impressed, especially with this uh, restraint spreader. Uh, apparently, the top comment here is from August, and it says, Fast shipping item as described. I will, without a doubt, use the online shop again. Oh, and it's from Poland. Well, of course, because what else do they have to do in Eastern Europe? <laughs> well, on that note, Satan, it was lovely, lovely speaking to you again. It's not quite... Halloween without a conjugal visit from you. I'm glad that I could uh, tickle the old testicle. I don't even remember the word I used. (laughs) Well, you definitely tickled something, whether it be testicle or taint. Testicle cleavage. Yes. Tickle the old testicle cleavage. Yes. There there you go. Glad I could do that for you, Tim. I appreciate it. No problem. I guess I will go back into the old hidey hole, and I shall see you again in... You know, on the next All Hallows Eve. Until next time. <laughs> oh, good lord, what? Oh, goodness gracious, that oh, that's never fun. You think you think him coming out's bad? Man, let me tell you. Well, if you think that's bad, just make sure you uh, delete all your search history uh, before you get off the computer this evening. Okay. Yeah, so then I suppose it's time for some movies, is it not? Yes, sir, it is. All right, then let's movie it up, folks. It's the movie we we The movies this week are. <laughs> I walked with a zombie. We also have 
diabolique or less diaboliques because you know it was originally french uh then we have house of usher and finally we have repulsion now uh the movies are 1943 1955 uh 1960 and 1965 respectively and uh they are all definitely very very interesting and different movies at first i gotta say at first when i started watching i walked with a zombie i I thought it was the uh zombie bride movie again that we watched a couple uh like two years ago i think when we did some zombie stuff um, Let's see. And, and it, was watched... the, it was on the plantation. I remember being on the plantation. Oh, is that, are you talking about White Zombie? White Zombie, yeah. That was yeah. from the very first Halloween episode that we did. Actually, no, that was back when we didn't even have Halloween episodes. We just covered it uh, October 2011. I was sitting there I'm sitting there watching the start of this movie, and I'm like, in the Caribbean? This is not... Man, are we accidentally watching the same movie over again? And then I went and looked it up. I was like, oh, okay, no, this is a different movie. Yeah, because so. White Zombie had Bella Lugosi in it. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it took me a minute. I got there, though. I mean, I, I got there. Anyway, I guess we should probably talk about these. Uh, I'm not sure how good the trailers are. So I guess I'll, I'll uh, leave some room. And if we, and if there, and if a trailer pops up, then hey, you'll know. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. So here's I Walked with a Zombie. And out of their West Indian island comes a tale of terror and voodoo, of witchcraft and zombies, and all the weird black magic that the white man seldom sees. It is a tale of brother against brother and their love for a woman who lived with the dead. And it is also the tale of a young nurse who never believed such things could happen. Tell me that the voodoo priest could cure Mrs. Holland. Better doctors. Dambala, this woman is ill. This is the ceremony of voodoo death, a ceremony that seeks the life of the woman who lives forever, who walks with the dead. It's a 1943 American horror film. Uh, this is directed by Jacques Tourneur. Uh, stars James Ellison, Francis D., and Tom Conway. And basically, this is about a young nurse named Betsy who gets hired to um, take care of a, um, I guess, the wife of a of a guy who is who runs a sugar plantation in the Caribbean. Um, she is immediately greeted by things not exactly being the way she would have expected. Uh, and what then unfolds is a very convoluted tale of love, love lost, scorn, and the ensuing horror of a true zombie. Because what people often confuse about zombies especially in real caribbean voodoo culture is that more often than not zombies are not truly dead and yet so so sure they they play on the idea of of being dead because they're controlled as if they have no life or will of their own 
Um, and the influence of the magic makes them look like, a, you know, a zombie. For example, you know, there's a ritual in the film where our, um, I guess you could say almost the antagonist, if you will, um, is cut or stabbed and, and she doesn't bleed, right? Um, but it's actually not her, it's not the reanimation. It's, it's just the control. And so, I, I really like that this movie kind of explores that aspect of it in a more, um, Western context, even though it is still 1943. So very, um, shall we say, I don't know. There, there's a lot of racist undertones in there, even if, 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 if it's not just completely outright racist. Bearing in mind the subject matter. Well, I mean, come on, you know. Um, but I, but I really did enjoy the movie. Uh, many shenanigans ensue. And if you're not paying close attention, really, I would say that the ending might not make a whole lot of sense. And so I thought that it was a pretty cleverly written ending because you really do have to pay attention to kind of the twists that they're throwing at you in the story to help you kind of understand why everything plays out like it does at the beginning. Um, so talking about the movie um, proper, our, our nurse protagonist, her name's Betsy. She's played by Frances D. Um, I don't know. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty cool. The only thing that I did not like about Betsy's character is that I felt like, and maybe it's just, contextually it's kind of a thing of its time i i I wasn't really a big fan of her falling in love with the cold distant you know paul holland if you will uh played by tom conway um i don't mind that he's kind of in a way kind of misunderstood douchebag which kind of leaves the hole open for it so i mean they do kind of cover the bases but it just seemed even for the time and for the style of presentation and what the movie was about i felt it was a little weak a little obvious but i really like the complexity of the story i think it's a, a really cool way to show how people can fall into the psychological trap of uh, of a potentially abusive relationship, even when you have people who, from the outside looking in, would seemingly know better. Uh, I like the ritualism involved. I like the way that they use voodoo uh, in, in here, and I feel like they do more to give it a bit of a fair shake, if you will, in terms of not just being an excuse for something, but actually to be kind of the vehicle for the move for all of the movie's plot lines. So it becomes, it becomes something that could be easily seen as a plot device, but I think it is in fact kind of the air quotes here, kind of the soul of the movie. I think it kind of drives the movie forward and gives you all of the things that you need to make the story work. Um, so, and I thought that the acting was decent on the whole as well. So I actually, for myself, I give this one a four. Uh, I, I really do, um, oh no, I'm sorry, not a four, a 3.5. I give it a 3.5 because I think that, um, 
I, I don't like, like I said, the, like, even though the story is good, the ending is pretty complex. I think that the whole driving point where she starts to kind of fall in love with Paul is kind of a narrative killer. And I don't know. I still feel like they're not a whole lot of great treatment of African-Americans in this one. So, I mean, for whatever it's worth, taking place in the Caribbean, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, so this one I definitely say is 3.5 out of 5. So what you got there, Tim? See, I definitely looked at the treatment of the African-American characters a little bit differently. I mean, within the context of the movie, they were actually portrayed more seriously, as is the whole uh, voodoo religion, I guess. Is that safe to call it a religion or the practice of voodoo? They, they very much call it a religion. A religion, there. yeah. So, Because yeah. in a lot of movies, like in the 30s, uh, that dealt with voodoo because voodoo was kind of like a craze. Audiences were kind of fascinated by it. It was much more, I guess, comical, especially when you watch it now. It's very comical, more over the top and just ridiculous and very fantastical. Uh, that's how it usually is portrayed in some of these movies. But how I Walked with the Zombie portrayed the practice of voodoo is much more serious and much more mature. Like it is an art to help people but it could also be misused. I mean, nobody is trying to create an army of the undead. People are just trying to save this lady's life. And she isn't like your walking dead zombie. She is just an undead or dead person brought back to life, but they're not all there. There's just something wrong with their brain, you know, lost in the subconscious. And they're just kind of on autopilot. So I don't really consider it to be racist, just a product of its time. And were the African-American people treated unfairly at that time? Of course they were. And that is how, in some way, they are represented in this film. But the characters themselves, the film isn't racist. And the characters themselves, especially the guy who owns, who's the husband who's trying to help his wife out, who owns the plantation... He's a nice guy. I mean, he feels that in some way his family is to blame for the slave ships and the slavery that happened on the island. So I watched the movie twice, and I definitely picked up on more of this stuff the second time around. And I think that just adds to the brilliance of the film, because it is in no way a big-budget film. But yet, the story is layered enough to where you come to realize just how serious the story and characters were being taken. So that's just a quality to this film that really sets itself apart from a lot of other movies coming out at that time. The film was produced by a man by the name of Val Luton. He went on to, or had produced cat people curse of the cat people is the sequel to it. I can't remember uh, what it was called. Uh, he also did a, a wonderful movie with Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff called The Body Snatcher that I just recently watched uh, for the first time. And that's also a wonderful uh, star vehicle for Boris Karloff. But Val Luton knew how to make the most with a low budget. He is kind of like a Roger Corman of the 40s. But he made better movies. He was a storyteller. And his version of horror was trying to find the horror in the situation, not really in the flashiness of the production. This movie was 
of course, put together by RKO, the studio. It takes place in San Sebastian, which of course is a fictional place, but they do so well to make this fictional place feel real with its backstory, just makes it feel rich as a setting. And what also made this movie feel especially rich, because of the budget being so low, Luton was also known for taking and using sets that were used in other films that uh, uh, he incorporated into his films, which gave it much more of a grandiosity, a bigger look. The movie also features great lighting and wonderful use of shadows. For example, Venetian blinds are featured prominently within the house that the movie takes place in. And these Venetian blinds, they create these like line shadows on like the background, like on on the wall or on the actors. And usually filmmaking at this time, directors would rather have clear, clean lighting, you know, without any uh, obstruction to its characters, to its actors. And so this movie, again, creates more of of a noir, creepy setting because it's just not like the backlit shadows or the frontlit shadows with, you know, the person's shadow appearing on a wall someplace. No one said you have this really cool uh, Venetian blind look taking over an actor's body because the shot is being lit outside as if it's the moonlight pouring in, being obstructed by those blinds. And also how the film utilizes sound. For example, the drums. You know, you start hearing a drum beat and it starts quiet and then it just grows louder, you know, to signify possible doom or that there's a threat. But it's not quite that kind of film. It's to remind you of the setting. And the movie just builds beautifully to the last, you know, 20 minutes or so when you actually do witness the voodoo ritual, which, believe it or not, the ritual that they do use in part is from an actual ritual that somebody did uh, witness. My only complaint about this film is that you don't really get a sense of time past. How long has the lady who comes to take care of the wife, how long has she been there for? You never really get that sense of time. But does that kill the film? No, it does not. But there are so many great, awesome things to this movie that just completely triumphs over any nitpicking that one could do, in my opinion. Uh, That is why I give I Walked with the Zombie a 4.5 out of 5. Please check it out and let us know what uh, you think. All right, well then we shall move into Les Diaboliques, the 1955 movie which happens to be a French psychological horror film. Uh, this is directed by uh, Henri, uh, Henri, uh, Georges Clouseau. <laughs> Maybe he was an inspector? Huh? Huh? All right, sorry. <laughs> the horror is in the jokes. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, so this is... <laughs> <laughs> the 1955 movie. <laughs> it stars, uh, Simone Signoret, uh, Vera Clouseau, Paul, uh, Maurice, and Charles Vanel. Now, what we have here is 
a boarding school. It's kind of a lower tier boarding school, if you will, is run by this uh, absolute just son of a bitch named uh, Mike, what we would refer to as Michael, uh, Michel uh, de la Salle. Now, the thing is, is that it's the wife of this Michelle guy who is the actual owner. Um, and so she is kind of, uh, frail. It's not like she's like really super old, but she's just kind of health wise. She's weak, right? Um, and so this Michelle guy also has a woman on the side. Uh, her name's Nicole, who happens to be a teacher at the school. And yet, weirdly enough, Nicole and Christina seemingly get along. Like, I don't know, they kind of um, use each other as a coping mechanism because Michelle is such a is just such an overwhelmingly powerful douchebag. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, well, one one at one point, um, Nicole decides that she wants to. Uh, tag team with Christina to get rid of Michelle. They come up with a plan to drown him and then make to drug him, drown him, and make him look, make it look like an accident. Um, things sort of kind of go to plan, and even where they don't go to plan, it kind of becomes recoverable. And they're like, yay, we got rid of this douchebag. But then, of course, things start kind of going wrong. There's a boy who breaks a window and he gets punished and like, well, who the heck was, who the heck was punishing you? And it's like, oh, you know, Monsieur de la Salle. And they're like, well, how is that even possible? Um, other strange things keep happening wrapped around de la Salle not being dead, even though he should be. We've got an investigator who's coming into this. And, you know, shenanigans ensue what ultimately comes of these women, this, the, the, the women's plot to kill this overbearing, tyrannical piece of shit. Um, and I'll leave it there. Now, where Tim saw a whole bunch of really cool stuff that I did not see in I Walked With a Zombie, which I am not, uh, I, I definitely, even though we come come away with different ratings uh, for different reasons, clearly, <laughs> right? That's the whole point of the show. Um, more often than not, I felt this movie was really super strong. Like, just the story was so cool. And so you, this is one of those movies where even if you consider the time, even if you consider the period, um, it is very, very cleverly written. It's one of those things where um, when you think you know what's happening, you don't. And I think it's it's just so incredibly well done. Such a great story. And you've got a kind of, I don't know, just a really great... Um, you've got just kind of really great central character and the central character kind of shifts depending on the dynamic that's happening within the relationship at the time and who's in control of the narrative as you're watching it. So it turns into something that I think is just really, really cool, really well done. Um, but 
I would say though, there are just snippets of this movie trying too hard to push the thriller aspect at you. And I, and it didn't need it. That's the thing is, is it really didn't need it. But I mean, again, it's 1955. So they're kind of like, you know, pushing the, the envelope in the thriller department in their own ways. So, you know, you give it a pass. Uh, for me, this is definitely a 4.5 movie. I absolutely love the heck out of this thing. I mean, it's not a perfect movie, but I super, super, super enjoyed it. I thought it was a great thriller. Wonderful twists and turns in the story. And excellent storytelling, well acted. So 4.5 for me. What do you got there, Tim? Were you bothered by the outcome? No. I was not bothered by the outcome. I, I believe that the outcome is part of the cleverness of the film. Right. And part of the charm. I've seen this movie before. I love this movie. Um, and this is a good excuse for me to go back and rewatch it. But I can see why. Right. And it's it's one that I, I mean, multiple viewings easily. You know, you can easily watch this film, maybe not back to back, but it's definitely one that you could revisit once a year, a couple times a year. It's wonderfully acted. Um, the actor who plays uh, Michelle. Oh, Paul. Uh, Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice. Is such Maurice. a great asshole. He is the perfect slime ball that who who you want to see die and honestly i wanted him dead that whenever christine you know his his wife in the movie whenever she starts mm-hmm. freaking out and you think she's gonna blow it i i really just wanted her to shut up stop it just snap out of it everything will be fine i mean this is the first time i saw it so going back and watching it again just seeing how everything falls into place and why certain characters act a certain way. It's all within the intention of of the movie. And I absolutely love that about this film. It is wonderfully acted. It is wonderfully shot. It's well thought out. It's never boring. Truly, the film is a masterclass in suspense. And it's not like Hitchcockian suspense. It's its own bag. I absolutely love it. So I give it a five out of five. Gotta love that. At least we're getting, you know, definitely moving in the right direction. Totally. Well, then let us move into 1960s House of Usher. Don't take her, Madeline! No! Let me go! Only the incomparable genius of Edgar Allan Poe could knit them so closely together. The burning passions of the purest of loves. The deadly passions of the madly prurient. Madeline, you're leaving this house with me tomorrow. Only I could. For hundreds of years, evil thoughts and evil deeds have been committed within these walls. The house itself is evil now. Here they all are. Ashes. This is monstrous. It waits for me. Because very soon I shall be dead. Oh, Madeline, come away with me now. Where is she? Where is she? You buried your own sister alive! I did. But she's dead now. The master hand of the macabre. 
creates its masterpiece. So this is uh, an American horror film. It's directed by Roger Corman, and it is obviously based on the fall of the House of Usher, House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. This one stars Vincent Price, Mark Damon, uh, Mima Fahey, and Harry Ellerby. Um, I will say that uh, you might have seen this, depending on where you pick it up or find it, it might be also the, just the fall of the House of, uh, of Usher. I've also seen here that it's uh, Mysterious House of Usher as well, but... House of Usher film is good. Now, I will say that this is an interesting film. What you have here is um, a movie that absolutely tries to create a different kind of love triangle, if you will. Now, it's familial love versus romantic love and it's a matter of desperation leading someone to try and do what they believe to be is the right thing and each side of this triangle has a reason for everything that they do and basically you've got this guy named philip uh he is in love with uh, this girl named Madeline, her brother Roderick, uh, who's played by Vincent Price, is bound and determined to not let Philip and Madeline be together, mainly because he believes that there is a curse on the bloodline of the House of Usher, and so he does not want this curse to propagate itself. Uh, Philip doesn't believe in it. Um, uh, Madeline is kind of torn in terms of she doesn't want to believe in it, but it's just kind of what her whole life has been led up to. And the movie tries to play itself out against this backdrop. Now, this is based on an Edgar Allan Poe book, so I don't feel too bad, you know, talking, you know, talking a little bit out of school, if you will. What I absolutely thought was great about the movie is that even though it is a tragedy, and even though you, let's say, we don't like Roderick very much, <laughs> Um, by the end of the movie and you're kind of glad that he's dead um, you the movie I think Vincent Price really brings the character to life um, and, and he gives he, he's truly desperate everybody's truly desperate to try and solve this problem from the point of view that they see it happening in Roderick doesn't want I mean, in, in point of fact, sure, it's more of a selfish way, but he doesn't even want Philip involved in the problem. So in his own desperate, twisted way, he's actually trying to help Philip. Philip wants to take Madeline away from it to leave Roderick to not have to worry about it. He wants to help Roderick. Madeline is in love with Philip, but loves her brother. And she's not happy about the situation, but she understands that it's a possibility because it's her whole life. And she wants to make everybody happy, including herself, but she's not sure if she can. You've got this triangle. It's really kind of cool. Um, and so it just makes the, it just makes for a really entertaining movie. I don't think it's particularly scary 
um, by any stretch of the imagination. But even for a, you know, 1960 air quotes horror movie, I think it's more suspenseful, especially if you don't know the story. I think it's more suspenseful in terms of what do you think is going to end up happening as this triangle kind of disintegrates? Um, but the, but the thing that keeps this movie at a four, uh, overall is I feel that even despite, uh, the great characterizations and the good acting from, uh, Vincent Price, I feel like the script comes off as melodramatic, um, to its detriment than to its benefit, even though the story itself is really good and the movie and the movie is obviously good as well. Um, but I think it's that overzealousness of the melodrama in the script that keeps it from being a five star movie for me. I think it's really enjoyable. I think this is one of the great Vincent Price movies. Uh, and I totally think that you should check it out. I guess one of four out of five. What do you got there, Tim? This is a four out of five movie for me as well. Uh, the flick costs two hundred and seventy thousand dollars to produce, which is actually three times more than Corman's usual budget. Um, with that budget, he would have made two other schlocky films. So it was actually wonderful seeing him helm a larger budget feature. And this was, of course, Corman's first film to be shot in color. And he would go on to make seven other adaptations of Poe's work. This movie was good news for Roger Corman. Uh, this definitely changed his trajectory of uh, of his career. For some time, while these type of gothic horror movies were popular throughout the 60s, Corman made this film in the style of British hammer horror with a lot of color and, and also amping up the gothic elements. The focus is more on the mood than it is on the scares, which I like. The movie's not loud at all. Uh, Vincent Price, actually, when he speaks, he doesn't really muster up anything more than a whisper. Throughout the entire film, I kept wondering, like, is the house in the, in the Usher family actually cursed? Or is Roderick, Vincent Price, mentally deranged? And is he the one playing mind games on his sister? And it's really hard to really decide which avenue Corman is, is, is taking the film. You know, it's very much like a good book. You can look at it in, in two different ways. You know, you can see the horror element, things are actually cursed, or you can look at things as uh, Vincent Price, the brother being overly protective, and yes, he might have all of these ticks, uh, but he is the one slowly killing his sister. Um, but then you have, like, the house, and the movie does a good enough job with keeping the Usher house itself a character. By giving the film the sense of impending danger from beginning to end. And it's very much also like what we'll talk about or see in Repulsion. Where Roman Polanski gave the apartment a character. Now, is the apartment really tearing apart? Or is that supposed to be a representation of the action taking place on screen? It's, is it supposed to be symbolic more than the house actually falling apart but of course i mean the lines are blurred and you really can't make th those assumptions easily since the film itself looks like it does take the more ghostly avenue and matt i don't know if you caught this at all but 
did you notice any of the undertones of incest throughout the film between Vincent Price and his character and uh, and his sister? I guess I like that. I think it's somewhat implied, but left just open enough that you can interpret it either way. I think that's definitely one of the nicer touches to the film. I wasn't really sure how, you know, I, I think it, I think it just lets you be in your own head about how deep you want that particular rabbit hole to go. Right. And the studio so wouldn't yes, obviously like. let him delve into incest, which is why he, he doesn't make things too complicated either. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Ladies and gentlemen, 1965's Repulsion. This is Carol Ladue, young, beautiful, desirable. Men found her irresistible, but something is happening to her. Something that she doesn't quite understand. And soon she will be swept up in a frantic fury of repulsion. <coughs> repulsion, a frightening film that takes the everyday world and distorts it. With you. I don't want the time. Repulsion. A terrifying look at the dark side of innocence losing control. Repulsion. A shocking plunge into the nightmare world of a young woman's sensual fantasies. All right, so this is uh, Roman Polanski, directed by Roman Polanski, and it stars Catherine uh, Deneuve, or Deneuve, Deneuve, I don't know, uh, Yvonne, Yvonne Fernot, Ian Hendry, and John Frazier. Uh, this is the first installment of Polanski's Apartment Trilogy. Uh, you'll, as Tim noted, the apartment kind of has its own role, if you will. Uh, the other two Apartment Trilogy movies were Rosemary's Baby from 1968 and The Tenant in 1976. Uh, also horror movies where, you know, the apartment actually kind of has something to do with the, as the basis of the setting, it has a lot to do with the film. Um, this movie is basically follows the life and times, if you will, of Carol Ledeau. She is a manicurist who lives in London uh, with her sister. She is quite beautiful, but um, seemingly detached from reality and has absolutely no taste for um, anything remotely romantic or sexual. Um, this starts her you're joining her in life obviously but um anything that kind of comes into that context anywhere near her literally repulses her hence the the title of the movie um and you're seeing her kind of become unhinged by this repulsion um which can often even trigger a vision a hallucination whatever you want to call it um the rabbit hole for her goes deeper and you are simply following her on this journey until you see what, what becomes of this, uh, of, of this 
lifestyle that she that that she leads um and i i guess not even lifestyles not lifestyles not the right word for it this you get to see the result of the way she lives inside of her head and it kind of carries the movie forward um this is a very very interesting movie and what made and honestly i wasn't really sure where to land on it watching most of it because I I get what the movie's trying to do in terms of theming. I mean, you got to remember this is 1965. So there you're you're kind of kind of getting into the sexual revolution. You're kind of getting into women uh as a method of empowering themselves and even though it is in an aspect it is kind of a negative context for the particular character this is a woman who is driven by what she believes and what she thinks she needs to do, which kind of turns the paradigm on its head because even though we might not like what she's doing, she's in control. And yet at the same time, her brain is playing, her mind's playing tricks on her. So is she in control? And so it starts to add a lot of really cool layers to the movie, um, especially for the time that it was released. Even so, I kind of felt like Polanski is just purposely playing with the audience for the sake of psychological terror, if you will. And mental illness aside, for me, what ends up saving the movie is that you go on the visions, you go, you basically go on into the deeper end of the hallucination with her. And by the end of the movie, what you think you're seeing, you have to check yourself to realize, no, no, no. You're seeing what she's seeing. That's not necessarily what's really happening. And if you're not careful, you'll kind of fall into the trap of, well, this is kind of getting out of hand and kind of silly and, Things are happening just for the sake of things happening. And they're not. Um, I do think that the movie definitely takes its time doing what it's doing. And so it can kind of feel like the pacing is a bit off towards the middle of the movie. Probably, the, say, the middle 10 minutes. But if that's the worst 10 minutes of, movies, of cinema you're going to see in your life, you know, there's then then I'd say your life is pretty good. Um, at the end of the day, I give this one a four as well. It's actually really, really well done. If you really think about the context of what's happening and you think about the time that it takes in and you just look at the story and you see the mental illness as it goes or the hallucinations as they go and you get to ask yourself why, then the movie becomes more of an exercise in just watching the story on the screen and more a thought experiment. And I think as... And I think in that context, it works best. So four out of five. What do you got there, Tim? Bring us home. So Repulsion is Polanski's second feature film following 1962's Knife in the Water. Growing up, not, I shouldn't say growing up because I certainly did not watch Repulsion whenever I was five or six years old. But... I've always had this love-hate relationship with Roman Polanski because he has produced some of the best films in cinema. Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, just to name a couple. 
but he has also produced some duds. Repulsion is a fantastic movie verging on overly pretentious at times. Of course, Roman Polanski is a talented filmmaker by this point, but he still had room to mature and grow. This is another film that features an excellent use of sound in silence. Certain transitions in edits are ultimately frustrating. For example, like when the hands, all those hands come through the wall and they're groping her, the scene quickly fades to black. You know, it would be interesting to see how those hands coming out of the wall, how all that affects her, how she deals with it, opposed to moving from one instance to another. She is repulsed by men. She has a fear of getting raped. And there are a couple instances in the film where she envisions being being raped. But you see it happening, and it's not... I mean, it definitely implies rape without actually graphically seeing it. But even those scenes just end. What happens afterwards? Does she still see the person? Or does the person go away? Or does she just suddenly wake up the next day and it was all but a dream? Certain things like that that are ultimately frustrating than anything else. Like, it just seemed like, oh, uh, to him it might have been a cool technique just to do a quick dissolve or just do a cut to the next thing. Another slightly annoying thing about the film is the use of jazz drums and the jazz drum cues, which are a bit too swingin' 60s for my taste. Uh, They're more loud and obnoxious, and maybe in some way they're supposed to symbolize the madness going on in, in her head. Uh, you know, on a daily basis even. But in contrast with the use of only sound effects or the sounds of silence, it's quite annoying hearing all that jazz drumming. I mean, maybe even if there was just layered monologue, uh, monologues going on her in her head where she's talking and uh, she's talking about something else and at the same time she's talking about 35 different things and just becomes like this jumbled mess. Or maybe she just has visions of everything that she is repulsed by. And therefore those visions are what she hears. And I think that would have even been more interesting than hearing the swing in sixties jazz drums, a visual aspect of the film that I enjoyed, not necessarily the most because I think her disillusioned state uh, was the most interesting, but I liked how, they showed the passage of time. When we were talking about I Walked with a Zombie, I was talking about how uh, they didn't do a good job of showing you how much time had passed since that lady arrived on the plantation. In this film, the passage of time is expressed or conveyed by rotting potatoes and food going bad. You know, with each scene, you know it's like another day or a couple days because you see more flies. You hear the buzzing of the flies. You just get the feeling that the entire apartment apartment stinks of the dead rabbit that's been left out in the living room all this time. Or the potatoes that have gone sour and are already growing vines. Cinematographer Gilbert Taylor utilized shadows and oh what lovely shadows they are the movie also features many wonderful subtleties that really builds upon her repulsion towards men like when the hands do come out of the wall 
they overpower her. And there's one moment, and I believe it's during the second hallway uh, groping scene. She falls to her knees, and she's just kind of there. And I can't remember if she's crying or sobbing or she's just dealing with it like a victim would, you know, who's put through this type of sexual demeaningness often. But she's there, and suddenly this masculine hand is there, caressing her face in such an overpowering masculine way, you know, I thought it was visually, visually striking. And it really does strike a chord with the audience because all of this visual flair, all of this disturbing visual flair is representing what she is struggling with. You know, is it a mental breakdown or has she actually been raped or been abused? The movie does raise a lot of very interesting questions uh, and maybe they're not so much questions as much as they provide great talking points. And I do love how it is surrealistic in its images and styles, especially. But I too give Repulsion a four out of four. It is a classic film, not Polanski's best, but it is the better of his few earlier films before he hits Rosemary's Baby. Very cool. All right. Well, then that does bring us to the end of the movies for this week and the end of our Halloween Horror Cast 7. Uh, next week, we will be back to our regularly scheduled movies. Uh, we'll be doing a little bit of a uh, new movie catch-up, if you will. We're going to be watching The Irishman and The Lighthouse. So hopefully you will tune in next week for those. And I believe, without further ado, that it is time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on! You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. Say, Lloyd, uh, it seems I'm temporarily light. <laughs> How's my credit in this joint, anyway? Your credit's fine, Mr. Torrance. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. And, of course, come aboard that information super and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite Sunstitcher radio, as well as track us down on the old Spotify and Google Play and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show head on over to patreon.com and check us out over there and until next week this is matt saying the thanks to vincent price i get to say this it's as much fun to scare as to be scared take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week and have yourself a safe and ghoulish halloween madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Monsieur!
Jake, it's Chinatown. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>